She howls, she bites, she wants to take me down with all of her might. She snarls, she growls, but now I'm ready to put up a fight. I've been in therapy for a hundred years, and there's a piece that I finally found. I've let go of so many fears, and she is not gonna kick me around. I'm taming my inner critic. You're not welcome here anymore. I'm taming my inner critic. Allow me to kick you out the door. Hi, welcome to Wild Woman Wisdom. I'm Judy Ray Brooks. Well, I am so excited today to be chatting with Sarah Wilson. Sarah is a New York Times bestselling author. She's the number one Amazon bestselling author. She's the founder of IQuitSugar.com and the author of several books on that subject. She is a philanthropist, a anti-waste campaigner, and teller of stories about anxiety. Sarah is a self-proclaimed soul nerd. I love that. I can definitely relate to that. In her last book, First You Make the Beast Beautiful, she helps reframe anxiety as a spiritual quest. In her new book, One Wild and Precious Life, The Path Back to Connection in a Fractured World, is what we're going to be having a conversation about today. Sarah is joining me via Zoom from her home in Australia, where it's tomorrow morning. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Wild Woman Wisdom. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you know, when I got a query from your publisher about an interview several months ago, and I saw the title, it was it was a real moment of synchronicity for me because I was just starting this new podcast, uh, Wild Woman Wisdom, and and I I too am a fan of Mary Oliver's work and her poem, The Summer Day, where she asks that question, "What will you do with your one wild and precious life?" So I didn't hesitate. I said, yes, please, please send me the book. Uh, and here you see that I have got all kinds of... Oh, I love that. I love it. Being well posted, noted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fell in love with the book, and I believe it's a book for our times. Uh, you know, your authenticity and your willingness to share your inner world and all the parts of yourself, you know, it gives the reader's permission to to do the same. Uh, Plus, it's so well researched and you deal with facts, which is so refreshing in the world today. Isn't it? Um, I actually fact check and I and I try to stick to science that most of the world agrees upon. (laughs) I love that. Uh, We do that on on Healing Quest, you know, and I uh, and you're just a wonderful writer. So you say in the book when it was time to get back out in the world after some personal decisions you had made, which you talk about in the book, and you're going to have to uh, buy the book to find out that story. Uh, the only thing you knew to do was to collect your shame, your hypocrisies, loneliness, guilt, overwhelm, and anxiety. My goodness, girl, that's a lot to pack. And then just get back on the road, writing as you went, and hopefully unpacking all of that along the way. So let's start where you started in the book by describing a collective itch. Can you describe what you mean by that collective itch for all of us? Well, it's kind of that barrow load of emotions you just um, described in that line. It's um, this sense that we are not living the life that we should be living. It's this sense that we are removed, that we are disconnected from not only each other, in a, in a real nourishing, intimate sense, but also from ourselves, from a real relationship with ourselves, with our values, 
we've lost sense of what our values are. We don't even have time to think about it. We don't have a discussion in our culture about values and ethics and what life is meant to be about. And, and then, of course, it's a disconnection from, from life, whether it's nature, whether it's the ebb and flow of things. Um, and, of course, I start the book out, as you say, with just a sense that this is not right. And overlaid over the top of that, of course, is this idea that climate is in a lot of trouble, the planet's in a lot of trouble, we've got political fragmentation, we've got children killing themselves, we've got, we've got a whole range of issues that we, we can't blame somebody else for. We can't point to an enemy like we used to in, in world wars, you know? We can't point to, you know, I mean, I know that your president did try to blame the virus on China. Um, that was a gallant attempt at, at trying to find an enemy. But I think the itch incorporates this idea that we are not only the victim, we're also the perpetrator. We're complicit in this. We've created a world where it's not, it's not the world, not the life that we want to be living and we should be doing something about it, but we are so overwhelmed by information and stimulus and distraction, we don't even know where to start. And so we go into this numb space. And of course, later in the book, I reference this Greek term called acedia, which uh, philosophers throughout history, I think it, it reared its head again in the 13th century uh, with, St. with St. Thomas Aquinas. He talked about this acedia, this state of listful slothfulness that we'll go into when we're overwhelmed. And I feel that that's where we are at the moment. We've lost our wildness and uh, that whole, the whole thing makes us itch. It makes us feel not right. Let's talk about the crisis of connection that uh, that you uh, so aptly titled the chapter "All the Lonely People" because it does seem as if we have um, a, a real crisis there. I mean, I can't I can't tell you how many people I hear say they're they're lonely, and uh, and it doesn't mean they're alone. Correct. That's the really important distinction that I had to make um, as I set off, you know, to write this book. It's interesting because, of course, the COVID pandemic has, I think, shone a spotlight on all of these issues that I raise in the book, but are the issues that are in our culture and are fracturing our culture and making us itch. So COVID obviously made those of us who are already lonely even more lonely, um, except it also made us aware of the specifics of our loneliness because we are more connected, Judy, than we've ever been in our lives, right? We've got Absolutely. more distracted by all these connections, right? But it's, and I make this distinction, what we're lacking is a meaningful connection with others. So it's, there are so few forums like this one, you know, and this is why I love coming onto podcasts with people I've never met before on the other side of the world. And we wind up having a conversation with each other, but also with your audience um, that's far more intimate, right, than, and then we, we, have on a day-to-day -day basis we so we we don't have the forums in general for doing that i'm very lucky that i get to have these kinds of conversations with people like you um i then break it down a little bit further and say that um i, I call it a moral aloneness and this is a term that a wonderful writer in the New York Times calls it. Um, David Brooks is an economist, um, very dry writer in some ways. Um, 
And uh, he came up with this term, and it's a beautiful way of describing it. It's almost like we're disconnected from the matrix of society that made everything feel like we had a point, you know, and that makes us feel connected. So I feel that we're not so much lonely um, just from connections. We're lonely from real meaningful connection with others, with ourselves, and with the matrix of life. Uh, but I was kind of stunned by uh, one of the scholars, I guess in 1980, estimated that 20% of people in the U.S. felt lonely. Now, 40 years later, it's half of all Americans. Now, I mean, what do you think, I know you went over some of that just now, but what do you think is the, the biggest cause of what you call uh, radical loneliness? Yeah. Look, I think that what's changed from the 1980s until now, it, it, there's many factors. Of course, we can blame technology. And as you know, I, I am very careful not to blame technology. I say that technology only ever enables. It enables what is already existing in the culture. So it's enabled us to split further apart, essentially, you know. Um, but I think there's a number of things. And um, actually, David Brooks, um, I quote David Brooks on this. He talks about the fact that what we can call moral umpires have been sort of wiped off the footy field, the football field of life, okay? So we used to have churches and we used to have maybe human um, relations departments who would make sure that, you know, we worked proper hours and there were boundaries around our private life so that we could relax and have time with other people. Um, we would have trade unions, we would have governments that would look after us and we would have these sort of social mores that would ensure there were these kind of almost institutions to guide us, you know, to guide us on what's right and wrong. And we sort of agreed to it. They weren't perfect all the time, but they enabled us to get on with our lives and know where to steer ourselves. I think what's changed, and, and even things like community centres, libraries, um, towns that have a central square where people come and meet, shops, real life shops, where you go and buy books and browse and meet people along the way. So what's happened is those, those sort of centralised, often state-run things um, have been obliterated because individual freedom, um, you know, has been supported so heavily as part of the neoliberal model. And so that has left us all as these kind of entities, these global isolates floating around the world trying to determine our own way. And so I think that that is very much why there is a distinct statistic like that that shows that we are far more lonely than we were in the 1980s. Um, I think that's then coupled by the fact that um, it's the meaningful connections as well that have dissipated in all of that. So there's several factors. I think really tangible loneliness is a real thing in the fact that we are isolated. We don't have spaces to meet each other, to meet sort of a community but it's accentuated by this sort of moral aloneness. Um, and we didn't sign up for this. You know, we've been sort of lured into it and we've been, we've been sold the Kool-Aid of individual freedom as though that's what we wanted. And it sounds great, right? Freedom. But we are creatures that like to be bound. We need boundaries to feel freedom. You know, you look at a child, a child needs to have some parameters and then they can go off and play. 
Um, you know, right? This is you, you can go to this boundary, and 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 then they can create their world within that world. And we are the same. And um, I think a lot of what I do in the book is try to encourage people to set up structures in their lives um, and connections, points of connection that provide those boundaries once again you know, um, and tap into that matrix once again to plug ourselves back in. I'm so happy that we've connected. And I know this is just the beginning of what I hope is a, a long friendship. And maybe I'll get to meet you when you come to the States sometime. So or somewhere on our, our path. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Take care. So I enjoyed that so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with author, activist, and philanthropist, Sarah Wilson. My conversation with Sarah was about 45 minutes, so I will be bringing you the rest of that conversation over the next couple of weeks. You know, next week we will delve a little bit deeper into what causes radical loneliness. And you may be surprised to learn of the cure for loneliness. You can find out more about Sarah's work and how you can get involved at sarahwilson.com. The book One Wild and Precious Life is available now in bookstores and wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening to Wild Woman Wisdom on NowWithPurpose.com. And if you're listening to this on Healing Quest, I recommend you check out NowWithPurpose.com. They have some terrific writers, and I I really enjoy everything that, that they do. I think you will, too. And please join me on Facebook and Twitter at WildWomanWisdom.org. I love hearing from you. Please stay healthy and connected. And if you have an inner critic, join me in kicking them to the curb. I'm taming my inner critic You have no power over me I'm taming my inner critic Knowing my worth has finally set me free So back off! I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Wilson as much as I did Um, and I'm going to have more of that for you next week. Well, that's our healing quest for today. I'm Judy Brooks, and for my partner, Roy Walkenhorst, thanks so much for joining us. And I just also want to give a big shout out to the great people at Just Thrive Health for helping us bring Healing Quest to you every week. And please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Healing Quest. We'll be back next week right here on iHeartRadio. Have a great week. Healing Quest is brought to you by Clearlight Infrared, makers of jacuzzi saunas whose infrared heating technology penetrates deep to boost the immune system, increase blood flow, reduce stress, and detox naturally. You can learn more about jacuzzi saunas at infraredsaunas.com. That's infraredsaunas.com. And use the promo code HEALINGQUEST. Or you can call Clearlight at 1-800-798-1779. That's 1-800-798-1779.